Tonight's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 29, verse 1, to chapter 30, verse 24. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, He went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, He took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not a custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant, And gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. 
She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The woman will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. This is God's word. Let me uh, add my welcome. My name is Matt Fuller, if uh, we've not met. Now, as um, some of you worked out, this is, this is a funny story. <laughs> this is a funny story. It's a sad story. It's tragic. Actually, it's a very encouraging story as well. So let's, uh, let's pray for the Lord's help as we look at it together. Father, we do want to thank and praise you that you don't simply give us a list of rules and say, here we go, follow these. But Father, you give us uh, the story of salvation. 
through the whole Bible with characters failing to live as you tell us to, some successfully doing so. You give us examples so we can see our own stupidity mirrored in the lives of some who are here. So, Father, would we do that this evening? Would your spirit convict us of where we share the foolishness of some of these characters in this incident? And would you encourage us that despite that, you are the gracious God who makes promises and never lets go? Teach us, encourage us this evening again, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The New Testament will put it this way, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, you reap what you sow. Don't be deceived, don't think you can get away with things, God sees all, he will not be mocked, and you reap what you sow. It's such a helpful way of putting things, isn't it? It's fairly obvious. Uh, illustration. When you plant something, it takes time for the plant to grow. It's not immediately obvious what's going to happen. But eventually, if you plant potatoes, you don't get bananas. You get potatoes. You reap what you sow. And that's true in, um, in our character. If we, if we sow rather selfishness, and have never got time for anyone else, well, then we reap that and loneliness. You reap what you sow. It's true also of our actions. We thought a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, sin has consequences to it. And one of the big observations that this text will make is that sin has consequences. Sin doesn't pay we often will reap what we sow. Make mistakes. There are actions or right reactions to the mistakes we make. Jacob in particular in this account reaps what he has sown. Now, if you are just joining us this evening, uh, we're looking uh, this term mainly at chapters uh, 25 to 35 of the book of Genesis, which really is the life of Jacob. Uh, the main point of Genesis is God chooses one family, the family of Abraham, and makes promises to Abraham and says, through you, Abraham, I'll bless the world. I will give you, in particular, a promised land to live in, multiple, multiple descendants, and I will bless you, and through you, the whole world will be blessed. And God does that despite the fact that this family of Abraham and his son Isaac, his sons Jacob and Esau, are horrible, particularly Jacob. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, he's not a good guy. There's nothing heroic particularly about Jacob at all. It is by grace that God will choose to bless this family, to bless the world, because they're screwed up, to put it simply. It is God's grace not what we deserve that means there's blessing here. Because Jacob is a schemer. His whole name means deceiver. That's what it means. Jacob is the deceiver. And he's already, you've been with us, he's deceived his brother Esau and cheated him out of his birthright and blessing. He's deceived his father, pretending to be Esau. So his poor, blind dad gets the two confused. He's a nasty piece of work, Jacob, the deceiver. And we join him here in this little section, chapters 29 and 30. He's on the run. 
So uh, this, the, these are the central chapters, really, in the life of Jacob. Chapter 28, he has to leave the promised land that God has said, oh, you know, this will be the land of promise. He leaves the promised land until chapter 32 when he goes back into the promised land. Chapter 28, God meets with him on his way out and says, look, even though you're about to leave, I'll be with you. Chapter 32, he meets him again. This is the central section, really, 28 to 32 of the life of Jacob. And if you were here last time, God has been kind to him and made wonderful promises to him. So uh, maybe we'll just turn back, or I don't know where you are on your Bibles, but chapter 28, verses 14 and 15. We looked at these last time. Exceptional promises that God makes to Jacob. Verse, chapter 28, verse 14. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You have loads of them. And you'll spread out to the east and the west, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this promised land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. That's fairly categorical. That's laid out very clearly. God is with Jacob to bless him. But part of that in this central section, chapters 28 to 32, as we see over the next couple of weeks, is that the Lord will discipline Jacob as part of being with him to bless him. He'll put him through the mill a bit to shape him. So Jacob, at the end of these chapters, returns to the promised land, a different man, because of the Lord's work in his life. I am with you to bless you, Jacob. Small print, brackets. Oh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt because I need to change the sort of man you are. Now, look, at this passage has an enormous amount of detail in it. We haven't got time uh, to go to all, but I just want to try and pick out three things in particular, really. Uh, And they're there on the the sheets. The battle of the brides, and uh, three things to observe them. Uh, There's the, the prayerless pursuit of blessing, which is Jacob. The fruitless pursuit of meaning, which is at Leah and Rachel. And then we'll look finally at the relentless grace of God. Let's take them in turn. Chapter 29, the prayerless pursuit of blessing. Chapter 29, verse 1. Jacob then, he's been walking on his own. Lonesome fellow, been walking, uh, wondering what's going to happen. Obviously, he's met with the Lord, which is exciting, but he's on his own. Finally meets some people, comes uh, across a well. Chapter 29, verse 2. There's some sheep and some lazy shepherds lounging around when they should be doing some work. Uh, chapter 4, uh, sorry, verse 4. Jacob says, hey, you know, where are you from? from how you? Do you know Laban? Yes, we know him. Brilliant. Brilliant. If you remember, mummy had sent Rebecca. His mummy had said, Esau, your brother, is trying to kill you. Run away, run away, run away to Laban, my brother, your uncle. So he's been wandering for a while. Do you know Laban? Yes. Phew. Here comes his daughter, Rachel. Fabulous. Verse 6. Here he is, they say, the shepherds. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Hmm. Look says Jacob. The sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. What are you doing here? Why do you water these sheep quickly and then naff off so I can chat to Rachel, I think is what's going on. Verse 8, we can't because the stone on top of the well is too heavy. Only when all the flocks are gathered and the stone's been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we'll water the sheep. This bizarre emphasis, you get it three times in in this short passage. There's this big stone on top of the well. 
we can't do it. There's only three of us. You know, we need all the shepherds here to move this stone. Verse 9. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherd. She was a shepherdess. Verse 10. When Jacob saw her, well, he does what men tend to do. He sees an attractive woman. So he sucks in his stomach and he puffs out his chest <laughs> and says, I can impress this woman. Goes over to the well, verse 10, despite the fact that he's, I don't know, in his late 40s or something by now, bends now, probably gives himself a hernia, <laughs> but pulls, the, pulls the, the stone off the top of the well, dumps it at the side, very impressive. Rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well, verse 10, watered his uncle's sheep. Now, this sort of magnificent action, and there it collapses. Can I water your sheep? Can I water your sheep? Yeah, okay. You might like to have a look at these as you go by. Can I water your sheep? And then somewhat brazenly, verse 11, he kisses her. We don't have any, he hasn't even spoken to her. Uh, but he kissed her and began to weep aloud. Well, that's fairly bold and brazen. He's a forward man. I think probably what's going on is he's relieved to meet some family members. He's been wandering for a while. But anyway, uh, he's fairly brazen. And then he explains what he's going on, verse 12. I'm a relative of his father, son of Rebecca. So Rachel goes off and says, Oh, your, uh, your nephew's here. What's he like? Well, he just lifted the stone off the well, did he? Did he? Has he got any money? No. Interesting. Very strong. No money. Does he like you? I think so. I can use a man like that. (laughs) And Laban has a little plan, I think, forming in his head. I can use that. Now, what's, what's the point of all this? The author has written this in such a way that we are meant to compare this incident with what has taken place in chapter 24. Now, don't turn back because it would take us too long. Worth reading later. Chapter 24, just a few chapters earlier, Abraham is desperate for his son Isaac to marry a godly woman. Abraham is old, so sends his servant, go find Isaac, a godly woman. And what do you see happening in chapter 24? Abraham's servant prays. Dear Sovereign Lord, I want want to find a godly wife for Isaac. So when I meet her, I want to test her character. He prays. He meets Rebecca. She's very attractive, we're told. And he tests her character. She demonstrates that she's servant-hearted. And then the servant prays again. Thank you, Lord. This is clearly a godly woman. You've helped me fulfill my mission. Amen. Otherwise, all the other details are the same. There's a well, there's shepherds, comes along to, to water the sheep. All the details are the same. Now, it's not that the author is of limited imagination and romances always happen at the well in those days. It is, he's saying, look what happened before. The servant prayed, tested the woman's character and gave thanks. Jacob, does he pray when he's looking for a family? No. Does he test her character? No. Does he give thanks for this meeting? No. Ah. Very different. And we're meant to notice that. We're meant to notice that comparison that's taking place. Now, main, what's, so what? Why, why is that emphasized? 
Because from this, until this, well, up until this point in the life of Jacob, he is relentlessly trying to grab hold of blessing for himself. If you were here and recall, chapter 25, the Lord has said to him, Jacob is the one who will get everything, all the goodies, the blessing of uh, the descendants and the land and the prosperity. Uh, he'll get all of those things. Chapter 28, he's been promised again that he will get these things. Chapter 29, is he trusting in the Lord? No. He's just grasping after all these things himself. Unlike Abraham's servant who prayed and prayed and prayed and looked for character, he's just grasping after the good-looking girl for himself. She's attractive. Our, Our children look marvelous in the photographs. She'll do. I'm besotted with her. In fact, we'll see right up until um, chapter 32 when Jacob wrestles with God and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, gets a change of name. He's constantly trying to grasp it for himself. He is prayerlessly or self-reliantly grasping after God's blessing. Okay, so what? Well, look, there is nothing wrong for you and me. There's nothing wrong with godly aspirations or ambitions in whatever field of life, your careers or whatever it may be. But to do so self-reliantly, prayerlessly, that's what will be discouraged by a text such as this. You do want to scream at Jacob, Jacob, will you trust the Lord? Come on. Minor little little application, gentlemen, don't pursue a wife just because she's attractive. Pray about it, test her character, give thanks if you find one. I'm sure that's legitimate in some way as well. But Jacob, he's he's self-reliant in his pursuit of what's going on. Okay, now what happens then? What happens next? Uh, Laban, well, Laban hears the news, and uh, he's excited by that. Yeah, I can use a man such as that. Big muscles, besotted with my daughter, no money. He'll do. Verse 14, hi, you're my flesh and blood. After a month, verse 15, just because you're a relative of mine, um, what, what should your wages be? You shouldn't work for nothing. Laban, he's your nephew, and you're giving him wages like a laborer. Laban is not a nice man. But uh, at this point, we get the detail on the daughters. Uh, verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. What does that mean? Well, you could take it in a whole number of, uh, commentators take it in a number of ways. She lacked, I mean, delicate eyes. She lacked the sparkle. Or, I mean, it could be that she's cross-eyed or something like that. The detail isn't spelt out. But what is obvious is the contrast with Rachel. Leah had some sort of deficiency. Rachel, lovely in form. That's a sort of body term. Beautiful term commonly related to the face. Rachel is attractive to any man. Leah, a little less so. That's just how it's portrayed. And so, unsurprisingly, given uh, his track record so far, verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel. Really? Love? Anyway, something like that. Lusted after Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter. Now, that's quite an offer. Laban is thinking, ka-ching, 
He is as stupid as I thought. Culturally in those days, it would be normal for a man to pay a bride price to the husband. That's, in one sense, entirely sensible. He's demonstrating to the father of the bride, I've got money because I've got a job, and I've earned it, and I'm secure, therefore I will be able to take care of your uh, daughters. It wasn't culturally normal, but it's quite acceptable. Average would be about 30 shekels, apparently, at the time, that you can pick up from some archaeological stuff, for a bride. Average monthly wage, about one shekel. You do the maths. To get an average-looking girl, you've got to work two and a half years or something like that to pay for her. Seven years. He's way over the top. Jacob is clearly besotted. So he puts this up. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Look at Laban's answer. Does he say, yeah, okay, deal? He's a slippy man. Slippery, rather. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. doesn't say yes. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for her. Ah, oh. that's nice. Okay. Anyway, not a lot happens in those seven years, obviously, so we move on. Verse 21. He's worked up a little bit of desperation. So verse 21, give me my wife. That's fairly aggressive, isn't it? Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. No, that's rude in any language. Father-in-law, give me your daughter. I want to have sex with her, and I want it now. That's uh, a little forward, culturally. Verse 22. So Laban brings all the people together. They have a feast. No doubt there's food. No doubt there's wine. But when evening came, there's a little switcheroo. So Laban takes Leah, not Rachel, Presumably Rachel had been dressed up in the day. A culture, you'd have a sort of week of celebration that was talking about. So no doubt Rachel probably had said the vows during the day, as it were. But at night time, uh, Jacob probably had a, a drink or two, probably quite excited that he's finally reached this day. And there's a switch around. Verse 23, uh, uh, Laban took his daughter Leah, gave her to Jacob. Jacob lay with her. And there's a present. Come back to her later. Verse 25. Oh dear. Jacob, you know, probably had had a few drinks the night before, but wakes up, thinks, oh, after seven years, here she is. <laughs> Doesn't say anything to Leah, that's not recorded. So I don't know, it's probably... <laughs> Goes to see Laban. Verse 25, what is this you've done to me? Seven years. Seven years I labored for you to get Rachel. What does he say? Why have you deceived me? And you hope at that point that a dagger enters Jacob's heart. Why have you deceived me? Like I deceived my brother and I deceived my father, and I'm known as the deceiver. And if he hasn't got it, verse 26, Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Laban says, around here, the older sibling gets the good stuff. 
not the younger one. Because you stole from your older brother Esau what he should have got. You reap what you sow, Jacob. You reap what you sow. Of course, as this is dramatized, you probably see Esau off stage, <laughs> roaring with laughter. <laughs> because, you know, vengeance is his. You reap what you sow, Jacob. You've been a deceiver all your life. Here you get recompense. Here is your comeuppance. Jacob has tried to secure blessing through his own manipulation, through his own deception. And here he loses seven and then 14 years of his life. Laban says, all right, you can have Rachel just for another seven years. You can have her now if you want, as long as you work for seven years, and so he does. There's a prayerless pursuit of blessing here. I mean, really, it's just been the whole of Jacob's life so far. But here is, again, comeuppance for him. He reaps what he sows. The deceiver is deceived. That's Jacob's mess. Of course, it creates further mess for him. Verses, uh, the second half, chapter 29, uh, the end of chapter 29, uh, 31 to 30, 24. Let's look at this, slightly different. There's a fruitless pursuit of meaning or for meaning, a fruitless pursuit for meaning. Really, this is the story of the two wives battling away. If you're in any doubt what the biblical author thinks, bigamy, disaster. It doesn't say it in block capitals at the beginning of the chapter. Bigamy is bad, says the Lord. But you read this, it's fairly obvious that is, well, that's going on. Let's look at this then, the, uh, the, the fruitless pursuit for meaning. Very quickly, uh, Leah lacks love, Rachel loves kids, and uh, Jacob loves leadership. Let's take them in turn. Let's pick it up from verse 30 of uh, chapter 29. Jacob lay with Rachel also. He loved Rachel more than Leah. Ouch. And he worked for Laban for another seven years. Verse 31. When, Le- when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Now, we get exceptional details throughout this little account on the names of the children. They're all fairly significant. They clearly indicate what's going on in the, uh, the two women's minds. Let's take these th- three little things in turn then. Leah, her issue is she lacks love. Leah is, of course, the older sister who all her life has lived in the shadow of the pretty one. All her life, whenever the two daughters or sisters entered a room, all the men look at Rachel and think, wow, and are drawn into conversation with her. And Leah is just left in the shadow. That's how Leah has lived her life. She lacks love. She desperately wants affirmation. She wants the man to love her. Now she's married. How does that go? Well, she finally gets her husband, but verse 31, he doesn't love her. Tragic. But she does have a son. First son, Reuben, verse 32. She named him Reuben, uh, seen, the Lord has seen. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. There's the indication of what's going on in her head. The Lord has seen me. Hopefully my husband will love me. She has another son, uh, a second son. 
Simeon, she conceived again, verse 33, and when she gave birth to a son, because the Lord heard I am not loved, he gave me this one too. Simeon heard is his name. Verse 34, again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So she named him Levi, attached. That's good logic. Two sons, my husband won't love me. Now I've got three sons, he'll love me. There's nothing here of the Lord has seen me, the Lord has heard me, the Lord cares about me. Isn't that wonderful? All she could say is, I desperate for the love of my husband. That is the thing that I need. She is desperately pursuing the love and affirmation of a man. Leah is the woman who thinks that the only way to have a meaningful existence is to have a husband say, I love you. And without that, life is rubbish, she thinks. That's quite a contemporary truth, isn't it? I would have thought that a number would feel that or know that. Who cares about the Lord? Who cares that the Lord loves me, sees me, hears me? What about him? I just want a man to say I love you. And I guess that's contemporary. And there'll be some here who have grown up in the shadow of Rachel, in their family, in their workplace. There's the girl who always gets all the attention and you're ignored. Or in church, why do they get all the attention? No one seems to give me any. Oh, look, it doesn't have to be this way around, of course. You don't have to be Rachel envying, sorry, you don't have to be Leah envying Rachel. You could be Lawrence envying Ryan, uh, whatever. You know, it could be another way round. But here's the, this case, the woman who thinks, I don't care what the Lord says, unless a man says, I love you, my life has no meaning. It's very sad. But no matter how many children she has, it doesn't do it. There's a fruitless pursuit for meaning in the wrong thing for her here. Now, it seems to get a bit better. Verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. Brilliant. Leah, that's great. There's been progress. No longer, what does my husband think? Is my hus- Four, four is the magic number. As long as you've got four boys, that your husband will always love you. None of that. I'm just going to say praise the Lord, because he has given me good things here. Sadly, it doesn't last. So Leah, she lacks love thinks that the whole of her life will come into focus, have meaning. She just has the man. It's fruitless. Meaning in the wrong place. Rachel's different. Rachel lacks kids. Actually, what she she lacks is victory, but we'll come to that. She lacks kids. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was four nil down, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. That's quite strong, isn't it? Ironically, it's true. Actually, when she gives birth to Benjamin, her second son, she'll die in childbirth. Probably meant to notice that. But even here at this point, it's not the kids that are the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is not the lack of children. The issue is chapter 30, verse 1. She's jealous of her sister. Because Leah's 4 nil up. And she's no longer the, the center of attention. The limelight doesn't all fall on Rachel. She's got the love of Jacob. Jacob loves her, but 
she's not producing the heirs. There's an extraordinary irony here. Rachel and Leah, each of them has what the other wants. Rachel wants kids, but has got the love of Jacob. Leah wants Jacob's love, but has got the kids. They both want what the other has got, and neither is able to give thanks for what the Lord has given to them. So what does Rachel do? Well, Rachel turns to her maidservant. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I remember. I remember the story of my uh, grand, you know, the sort of grandparent, that generation, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah couldn't get pregnant, so she gave her, her maidservant to Abraham. Do you, were you here? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember how well that goes when Abraham sleeps with Hagar? It's a disaster. And you read this and think, Rachel, know your history. That doesn't go well when you encourage your husband to sleep with your maidservant. But when you're desperate, when you're desperate, any straw, any straw is worth clutching, no matter how foolish, no matter how immoral. Because once you're fixated on one thing, you'll do mad stuff to try and secure it. So she um, uh, uh, puts, um, sends Bila out to, uh, to sleep uh, with, um, uh, with Jacob. Uh, so how does that go? Well, you know, two sons come from that, that root. So uh, uh, chapter 30, verse 5, uh, Billah the servant becomes pregnant, bears Rachel a son. Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He's listened to my plea and given me a son. And because of this, she named him Dan. Vindicated. Then there comes a second son, Naphtali. I've won my struggle. Do you see what she says? Chapter 30, verse 8. I have had a great struggle with my sister. And I've won. Yes, Leah. That's what I wanted. Stuff the kids. Billa, you bring them up because they just they make mess on your clothes. I'm not interested about that. I've won. I've got children now. It's all she cares about is victory. It's not the kids. You know, again, I think that's fairly contemporary. Rachel is one who thinks meaning in life will come, success in life will come, happiness in life will come through beating her sister. Victory. And again, I think that's quite common. You can easily slip into that sort of mindset. I'm used to having all eyes of attention upon me. Now he's come along and he's the blue-eyed boy in the office and I don't like it. And I will beat him. That's Rachel's issue. She wants success at the expense of others. Give me promotion or I'll die. Give me a certain level of income or I'll die. I must have that. That's Rachel. Of course, we never put it that bluntly. We never say, give me X or I'll die. Probably not many of us in this room are likely to get into competitive uh, childbearing and uh, try and, you know, get the scores up to double digits. Not many of us are going to pursue that sort of route. But what is going on here is the fruitless pursuit of meaning and a single-minded obsession. I must have the man who affirms me or I'm nothing. I must win here or I'm nothing. And that's a foolish way of living. If we thought Leah had done well in, uh, in naming the last uh, child Judah, I'll praise the Lord. Well, her idol of 
the man. It hasn't taken long for it to bubble up again. The idol refuses to, to lie dormant. So chapter 30, verse 9. Oh, the old maidservant trick, eh? Well, two can play out of that game. And so uh, she puts out her uh, maidservant, Zilpah, says, you go and sleep with Jacob. And um, what are her children now called? Gad, chapter 30, verse 11. What good fortune. Asher, verse 12. Happy. There's no reference even to the Lord now. She's become a little obsessed again. And then uh, chapter 30, verse 14, we get to the, the, the mandrake incident, which really does get ridiculous, as, uh, as you notice when it was being read. Now, mandrakes, you don't forget Harry Potter, the sort of screaming children. Uh, not, that, you know, not those sort of things. Uh, culturally at the time, mandrakes were a rare flower and were viewed as an aphrodisiac and an infertility cure. So Reuben goes out in the field one day and says, Mummy, I found these flowers. I don't know how old he is. Mummy, I found these flowers. These are pretty, aren't they? Oh, yes, they're mandrakes. Rachel sees them. Mandrakes? I can't have children. They could do it. Again, if you're desperate, you'll clutch any straw. So they have a, a, a little... Uh, a little frisson about this. So uh, verse 14, uh, Leah, sorry, Rachel says to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Verse 15, Leah says, well, wasn't it bad enough you took away my husband? You'll take my son's mandrakes too? This is a slightly odd dialogue, isn't it? Um, anyway, very well, says Rachel. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Golly, how, this is pathetic, isn't it? How extraordinary. Verse 16, things have got so bad for Leah, she hires her husband. Jacob is put out to stud. Verse 16, Leah went out to meet Jacob as he came in. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Golly, what a degrading scenario. So he slept with her that night. She falls pregnant, verse 17. God listened to Leah. She became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, verse 18, God has rewarded me for for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar, reward. Slight tangent. That is, I don't know what you call it, that is, what should we call it, the doctrine of pragmatic theology. I've done something immoral, but it's gone well, it must be that God is blessing it. Please don't think in that way, that just because something appears to go right, it's good, and God likes it. I'm short of money. I'll mug a granny. I've stolen a hundred pounds. I've now got money. God has blessed my mugging of old women in the street. That's the sort of level of theology she's descended to here. Don't just say it appears to work, therefore God must like it. Don't do that, please. Just read what he says. It is clearly bad. God is not blessing that. Anyway, tangent over. Uh, Verse 19, there's another son. Uh, So Leah says, God has presented me with a precious gift. Golly, can you see she's still saying it? Verse 20 of chapter 30, this time, this time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. One, two, three, four. Four didn't do it. Now I've got six he'll honor me. But no, she doesn't say love now. No longer will my husband love me. So her aspirations are getting lower. But she's still pursuing this path. If I can just pop out enough children, 
despite the fact I've had to buy him to sleep in my bed, if I can just pop out enough children, he'll love me. She's just not thinking straight. She is obsessed with finding her identity, meaning, in this one man. Finally, verse 20, the Lord does remember. Rachel. Doesn't mean he's forgotten her. When the Old Testament, when Hebrew uses the language the Lord remembers, it just means he acts. So finally, verse 20, excuse me, verse 22, God remembered Rachel. He listened and opened her womb. You look at these two women, Rachel and Leah, there's a fruitless pursuit for meaning. For Leah, I must have a man or my life is nothing. For Rachel, I must win. I must have success or my life is nothing. And it destroys them. It destroys them. Very, very briefly, Jacob, let's look at him for two minutes. Jacob then, well, Jacob lacks leadership. I think he's meant to be the most passive characters of here. Twice in the chapter he's addressed, chapter 30, verse 1. Give me children or I'll die. Chapter uh, um, uh, 30 and verse 16, I've hired you. Those are the only two things that are said to him. The only thing he says is chapter 30, verse 2, it's not my fault, essentially is what he says. Rachel says, give me children or I'll die. Verse 2, Jacob becomes angry and says, am I in the place of God? It's not my fault. He's passive. Jacob's also at fault here. Can't just blame his wives. Anyway, enough of that. Let's turn to the third thing. There's a prayerless pursuit of blessing. That's Jacob's error. A fruitless pursuit for meaning. That's the two wives. But despite that, despite that, in this chapter, there is still the relentless grace of God. Briefly, who is the hero of this story? Who's in the white hat? You're looking quite hard, aren't you? They're all horrible. It's kind of the point. They're horrible people. But God is good. Let me essentially make four statements. There's no real time to unpack them. We'll get to them uh, in in subsequent weeks. Uh, Four little statements, really, to summarize what's going on here. The first is, look, the relentless grace of God. He's sovereign over sin. So praise him. What you have here is a a miserable family performing miserably. They're horrible, really. But despite that, God is sovereignly working. Very briefly, chapter 28 to 32 is Jacob in exile outside of the promised land. Chapter 28, he meets with the Lord. Chapter 32, he meets with the Lord. Chapter 29, he's tricked by Laban. Chapter 31, he tricks Laban. Right in the middle of the section, right in the section in the middle of the whole Jacob story, he has... 12 kids. 11 of them are the 12, or will be the 12 tribes of Israel. Despite this appalling story, God is giving descendants to Jacob. God is raising up the 12 tribes of Israel who will be the great nation. God is working. I don't really know what's going on. But God is sovereign over sin. So do praise him for that. You look around our world at the worst of the things that are going on. God has purposes. He'll achieve them. He's unstoppable. God is sovereign over sin. Secondly, he opens the womb. Trust him. Because you know that you're saved for eternity by Jesus Christ. 
And if you want to marry, of course, pursue a spouse. But if it doesn't come, you won't collapse because you know that your identity is defined by Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives meaning. Fourth and last, he blesses sinners. Thank him. Yeah, there's a sense in which Jacob, uh, we reap what we sow. Jacob is a deceiver, he reaps deception. But of course, actually in this story as well, God is very kind to the participants. Rachel is horrible. God is kind. He does give her a son. Leah is besotted and ridiculous. He is kind, he gives her a number of sons, including Judah, the one who gets the good name, who is the ancestor of King David, who is the ancestor of King Jesus. Leah gets a great honor, biblically. He's kind. And of course, ultimately, for anyone trusting in Jesus Christ, we don't get what we deserve. We deserve hell. We get blessing and heaven if we trust in him. God is merciful. So you read this story, and yeah, there's lots to learn from the mistakes that they make to avoid not to prayerlessly pursue blessing, not to fruitlessly pursue meaning in the wrong things, but ultimately, golly, look up and delight in a God who relentlessly is gracious. Trust in him. Because there are no heroes in this story, but we're in this story. We may not be quite as daft, but we're Rachel and we're deceptive like Jacob, and we're scheming like Laban, and we're single-minded like Leah, and obsessed. But God is gracious. So trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us this story. We pray that we would avoid the the errors that are here, we're unlikely to make them in the same way, but to single-mindedly pursue our meaning in something that will never grant it, would you deliver us from that? Would you deliver us from prayerlessly pursuing life in this world rather than trusting in you? But rather, would we trust in your grace to us, we pray, shown in Jesus Christ, knowing that in eternity we'll receive blessings that we haven't earned. It's not because of our goodness, but because of him and your grace. So would we trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.